Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast podcast brought to you by thelines.com. Coming to you from the West Coast, Josh Lander, joined by Nate Weitzer. He's on the East Coast, and Friday didn't happen, so we are moving on. We did not win a game in our best bets. Did all right in player props, thanks to Nate's ladder on Friday, but it was a wonky day in the NBA, as was Saturday. We stayed away from that one as well, as we normally do, but I don't know that we would have had any bets for Saturday with all the weirdness, as there was no games on Sunday, and now we are in the Monday version of the in-season tournament quarterfinals, first stage of the knockout round. Like I said, we've got best bets from both of those games in this one. We've also got player props up in our other video, so like and subscribe to that page. Continue to follow along all season with us. Also head to thelines.com, everything you need to know, including a great in-season tournament exp- explainer article up there by yours truly. Uh, we also have the odds finder tool up there. You can make sure that you're getting the best juice available to you from all of these books, making giving us bets, rather, this NBA season. Nate, let's go ahead and get into your first best bet from either the Celtics and the Pacers or the Kangs and the Pellies. Explain this tournament thing to me, Josh. I don't get it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's it's. Quite simple, especially at this point <laughs> where we're in the quarterfinals and you win and you advance. Uh, Boston at Indy is our first game here. The total is climbing, as you would expect with any Indy game. It's up to 242. And a way to get a little bit better odds here is to just say, I mean, yeah, we're going to go over. But I think both teams are going to have success on offense. So over 117 and a half, I was already at this uh, at 115 and a half and it was around even money now you have to go 117 and a half to get the plus odds but i'd find laddering it up to both teams to score 120 at plus 150 here this is just the way indiana plays like there's there's no way they're going to have success at home getting into a low scoring uh you know bruising game with the celtics who have very favorable matchups here all over the place even though they don't have porzingis Tatum should have no problem scoring against the Pacers team that is ridiculously vulnerable against power forwards. They have these these bigger guards who should give Indy trouble. They should be hitting threes in their last five against Indy. They're averaging 131 are the Celtics. Tatum averaging 33. Without Porzingis here, I mean, they've been playing a little bit faster. Um, 99 pace in their last five, including a 102 pace against Philly. Both teams got to at least 119 in that matchup. Philly likes to play slow. As we know, Indy likes to play fast. 104 pace at home. The scoring is actually a little bit down at home versus on the road, but I think a lot of that is just strength of schedule. Like, they have home games against Portland, Detroit, Toronto, Utah, which is abysmal on the road, Chicago, etc. Any, like, decent offense has basically gotten to 124 in Indy. We saw their in-season tournament games with Philly were ridiculously high scoring. It doesn't necessarily matter that this is a, you know, a quote playoff atmosphere. Uh, this is just the way Indiana plays. They they run you off the three-point line. They're going to make that an emphasis with the Celtics, but they have no real line of defense at the rim, give up the most paint points and the most free throw attempts. So that'll slow it down, give guys a rest, um, you know, keep us high scoring. On the other end, Halliburton is questionable. With a with a, both an illness and a bit of a bruised knee, he's expected to play as long as he's good to go. This Pacers offense will be humming, um, and, and the Celtics defense is just not not nearly as efficient on the road. In the second half on the road, they have a nearly one twenty defensive rating. So if you ex- expedite that with the pace of play here, uh, we're talking about the Pacers being able to keep scoring in down the stretch here. Yeah, that I mean, look, you're in a Pacers game. So transition buckets, speed, pace of play, things that are all about, you know, how fast you're going and how fast the other team is going. That's all 
that's it. That's like the name of the game to me. I mean, it's not like, oh, the Pacers are so good that you have to to try to shut down what they do, you, that you have to really, really like be on your game, essentially, is what I'm saying, to, to beat them. Like, they're beatable by a team like the Celtics. Unfortunately, we don't know what a game with Tyrese Halliburton playing against these Celtics looks like. So we don't have any precedent because he missed that game earlier this season. But I, I agree with the over entirely. I'm going to move on to my first bet and just say it's it's a money line with the, the C's and the Pellies. And, and I'll talk about the Pellies in a minute. I feel like we're both just going to kind of get to them after, after we talk about Boston. So let me just throw my stuff out there for the Boston portion of this bet to get us to plus 130 for those money line parlays. Chalky, I, but I like these these situations for both these teams, even though we're taking the two favorites. Um, I, there's a couple of things, and I'll just start with Boston. And for me, it's the transition stuff. I don't expect Boston to stop the, the, the fast break of this Pacers team entirely. It's impossible. They're breaking at the highest rate of any team that has ever played basketball in the last at least 15 years, uh, according to NBA.com stats. So, like, this is unprecedented, and there is something to be said for the correlation between playing fast in the NBA and playing efficient. That's just become sort of the, the standard over the last, like, 10, 11 seasons with all the advanced metrics. Boston's defense on, in the transition is really good, and, and I think it's at least good enough, and it's bet, it's good on, on offense as well, uh, and it's way better than Indiana's transition defense, and that's where I think they have the edge is the fact that Boston is one of the few teams that can run up and down the floor with Indiana on both ends of the floor, whether they're fast breaking for Boston or they're stopping the fast break. They are basically, let's call them the second best transition defense in the league, only because former coach Ime Odoka on Houston has a slightly better transition defense. That is Ime's uh, biggest uh, pet peeve is, is easy baskets in transition as a Boston Celtics fan like you will know. Um, but either way, that's maintained in Boston. And right now, like I said, they're top five in, in, in terms of the amount of defensive possessions that are, are coming against them in transition. Teams are trying to get out in transition to the tune of, like I said, the fifth most often of any team. Um, but really, that's because they're off at, their half-court defense is so good as well. And if Indy is not able to get into the uh, transition offense. I don't like their their offense against Boston's half court defense, which is also top five in the league, by the way. Um, they limit teams to the second fewest points per uh, possession in transition and the seventh fewest points per game overall, which is just really impressive considering I just told you teams fast break on them fifth most of any team in the league. We know that Indy is going to rely on that fast break and they're good at it. Um, they, they still are a very efficient offense despite Playing at the fastest pace, they also have the best offensive rating. Um, so they are. That's why the, they've gone over in 16 of 18 games. Um, but I do think that Boston's good to pull this one out. It's it's a, a playoff game for all intents and purposes. They care about this. The clutch ratings between these teams way different, and that's really the key for both of these games. I'll touch on New Orleans in a minute because I'll let you get into it first. But my my main thing with New Orleans and, and the Kangs as well uh, is the fact that like if it comes down to transit uh, to to the clutch time. New Orleans, bottom five team in the league. Same with Indy, bottom 10 in, in, in clutch time. Boston, a top 10 team. And the uh, Kings as well, once again, back into the top 10 as, as far as clutch teams go. So you want the Kings money line parlay with the Celtics, right? You said both did favorites. Did I say New Orleans? Idiot. What you an did. idiot. I meant, and, and I meant wrote, the Kings. That's here, why so I, said I, was just, I was just confused because, yeah, the penalties are underdogs here. All right. No. All right. Yeah, I, I'm with you on, on the Kings, Kings here. Um, despite the fact that they lost twice in NOLA just a few weeks ago, um, you know, there's there's excuses to be made. I mean, first of all, one of them is back-to-back where Kings just got absolutely blown out, as they might do sometimes, as, as many NBA teams do. But at the house here, uh, Sacramento, um, you know, I think there's a strong correlation between this game going over and Sacramento winning. So I will take yeah. the money line parlay. 
Again, FanDuel freezes the total, which is six to seven points lower than you can get it live right now. So Kings money line and over 231 and a half is plus 150 at FanDuel. If you don't have a FanDuel account and you want plus odds, I would do what Josh is suggesting. Kings money line, Celtics money line for about plus 130. I just don't see the Kings losing this game at home. Um, I mean, and I don't see them having a low scoring game at home. 16 of their last 17 with De'Aaron Fox at home have gotten to 236 total. Uh, The exception went to 234, and that was with Minnesota, the best defense in the league this year. Even in the playoffs with Golden State, they got to 240 and 250 in two of their first three, and then Game 7 gave up 120 to Steph and company. Their last four at home this season, they're averaging 124, hitting 16 threes at 40%. They just, since the beginning of last season, so much better shooting the ball at home, look at Kevin Querter, maybe over two and a half threes based on that. Um, and, you know, the last few at against the Pels at home, you might say, well, those have been low scoring. Interesting. None had Zion Williamson. The last home game with Zion playing on the other side, total 251 in January. Fox had 43 and 13 for what that's worth. I mean, there's better defenders now for the Pelicans, but I mean, Fox's starting lineup alongside him was not nearly as good as it was. I mean, you're talking about Marvin Bagley instead of DeMontis Sabonis. Um, so, the, you know, the Kings' historic offense last year, 124 offensive rating at home last year. That's where they're at this year, as long as they have Fox. Um, and I don't trust the Pelicans to maintain what they did at home. I mean, they've lost six of the last seven on the road. They struggle in the areas that you'd worry about with Sacramento, right? Third most fast break points, which is what Josh keeps talking about here um, with with the fast break matchup. Fourth most assists, sixth most threes on the road. Um, And yeah, the Kings just had kind of like regression shooting the three ball in those two matchups. And the Pels shot just seven for 30 in the second matchup, which is why we didn't quite get to 230. But they got 37 free throws, and that's something you can bank on. Zion getting to the rim is something you can bank on against this Kings team to help us get over this uh, total. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like, I, I like the Kings in this spot. Um, I don't want to go too far into the hokey revenge narrative because that gets us in trouble if we rely on it too heavily compared to what Raw Data is saying. And Raw Data is saying there's not a good matchup on this Kings team for Zion Williamson. So I say all that to say, I agree. The The correlation between the Kings winning and the points going up is a lot because I think the Kings are going to give up a lot of points, right? And so I, I do love Zion to be able to handle uh, this front court, especially HB. Love you, Harrison Barnes, the politician, as I call him, but like, it's not a good matchup for you, brother. Uh, stronger than he appears, but Zion Williamson um, could eat Harrison Barnes in, in, in just straight up. So that's going to be where they, they win that matchup for sure. In my opinion, the Pellies Valanciunas has done a decent job on Domas as well, but I think that is a bit skewed by when uh, the Kings played at new Orleans, two games in a row, uh, basically two games in a row. One of them was that, like you said, that back to back after a really long game that was played at a very fast pace against the Mavericks. So like everything for sort of revenge factor is like, it's not like, oh, we lost, so now we want to win. It's like we lost in bad context. Now we have the advantage as the Kings coming back home where we are a much better team. Our, we score, what, 11 more points per game at home, um, giving up a few more as well, but definitely winning more at home and, and dominating more. So I think it's just the spot for them as much as anything. Um, the, the defense just goes it gets better on the on, at home, like I said, but it's also about the scoring. The scoring is really what matters at home for SAC. I can get them at minus three and a half now. So, I mean, because we're just throwing 
we're, we're like making potato salad in nine different ways because we have two games to choose from. So some of it is like with scallions in it and some of it is mayo and mustard or whatever. This is the mustard bet where it's Sacramento minus three and a half. Um, and just like I said, the, the situation more than anything, I don't necessarily need to go into everything you said because my biggest thing with the 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 over that to agree with you is, like I said, both of these teams can score in a way that the other one is not as good at stopping. Let's put it that way. And um, I don't think there is a great matchup for De'Aaron Fox, even if um, Herb Jones is out there a bit more. Fox still got his in the game where he wasn't coming off the back to back and didn't didn't get the help that he needed. So I do think it's it's a big De'Aaron Fox game. He's absolutely incredible at home this season uh, with some pretty stark splits as well. So he's another good bet to kind of keep the Kings uh, in this one and, and pull it out in the end by at least four, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, going with the favorites here, I think, yeah, the Kings have a better chance of running away than the Celtics do, to be honest, being at home, uh, being considering we the Pelicans, their big three is still like barely never played together. We don't know what we get on a nightly basis in terms of their chemistry. Uh, and the Kings have, have great continuity. That's how they got the three seed last year. That's how they were so damn good at home. Um, so I, yeah, I like them in this playoff environment with the clutch player of the year, De'Aaron Fox, to uh, to pull it out. Yep. Yep. The clutch numbers are huge as well. I mentioned that a minute ago. That's a big part of it as well. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, when we talk about the big three for the Pellies, I don't know. We're going to start. I think it's going to be a different third dude pretty soon. Like maybe we talk about Herb Jones in that in that context or like a uh, Trey Murphy when he comes back as well. I think he's expected to play in this one. Just more points available at that point. But Nate, let's go ahead and get into uh, your first player prop from one of these two games. We're definitely looking at Drew Holiday. I also was looking at him, but uh, talk to me about where you're going with Drew. Oh, nice. Great minds there thinking. I mean, yeah, I I don't want to take necessarily the star scores for the Celtics at at 25 and 30 points for Tatum Brown. I want to take Drew Holiday for 14 and a half points. Um, You know, there should be scoring all around when you talk about a Pacers game with a 242 and and climbing total. Uh, But I like Drew's matchup to just get some easy buckets. Like he doesn't force anything from the perimeter with this team. He doesn't have to. He's concentrating on defense, but I mean, the the Pacers, who is a team that he's had a lot of success with when he was with the Bucks, because they're small in the backcourt. They have a lot of skinny, small shooting guards. Um, now they have Bruce Brown, but Brown's going to be on Jalen Brown or Tatum or someone bigger because the, the Pacers need that kind of size on the wing. And Drew's going to be able to take Halliburton, Emhard, whoever, down low. I mean, and, and just no resistance from from the Pacers. <laughs> they give up the most paint points, the highest field goal percentage, the most free throws, third most pay- points to shooting guards. Uh, and that's even spiked lately in their last 15. They're giving up 25 and a half to a game to shooting guards. Reason I didn't add the assists, even though Drew has been a seamless kind of fit in the starting five, is is the Pacers' limit assists, poss- possibly because they, they foul so much. Um, so I would combine it with the rebounds if you are looking to get something else in here. But yeah, with Drew, I mean, he, he had 15 in just 25 minutes when they blew out Indy without Halliburton earlier this season. He had 51, eight and eight in his last trip to Indy with Milwaukee. That was with, uh, you know, Giannis Middleton, everyone out for the bucks. So he had a 48% usage, but his, you know, overall his last five against Indy 28, a game. And the other four were normal usage, like 22%. He now has a 19% usage rate on the road with Boston. Much lower efficiency than at home. I think that's small sample size. And, you know, part of it is just matchup. And this matchup is good to get, you know, get a high field goal percentage. Again, he's shooting 63% on those 28 points per game against these Pacers with a 142 offensive rating. So the matchup is 
pretty easy for him to just bully his way to the paint. Yeah. Yeah, no, no question there. Terrible timing on the coffee sip. Apologies. Uh, but Drew Holiday over 14 and a half points is good. I, I'm not, it's so weird. I'm the, the books know, I don't know. Maybe they know me. They know betters. I really want to take so many different assist props in this game for the Celtics because they're so low because of what you said that the Pacers, you would just think hemorrhage assists and allow them, but like they don't. And in part, it's because their one-on-one defense isn't really good on any part of the floor. I mean, even when Miles Turner was being considered for a defensive player of the year award, those blocks weren't like one-on-one my man's posting me up and I get the better of him blocks. They are help blocks because they're not very good at one-on-one defense. And that they're one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to half court defense and the like. So drew is a great bet as a great half court player. Who's just going to have an advantage with whomever's guarding him. I agree with that. Bruce Brown can, they can't afford to, to, to leave him on drew holiday, which is partly why drew so dangerous on this team. It's always going to be, well, there's four, three other dudes we have to guard, maybe four sometimes not sure we can afford to put the best defender on drew holiday. So I think that's another good bet. I, I was looking at D white at Derek white. If I was going to go assists in this game, I would lean towards Derek White being the one to get a few more dimes than Drew Holiday. And, and they have the same assist prop, I'm pretty sure, at both at about four and a half. And that does feel high. Um, so I, I'm not going to necessarily attack that either. Uh, but I support the Drew Holiday bet for sure. I'm going to stick in this game and on this team. Uh, I think we're both just going to Celtics and, and, and Pellies is where we feel comfortable. But um, the Al Horford bet here, 18 and a half points and rebounds for Papa Al. Big fan of, you know, this show is a huge fan of Papa Alpha Horford, obviously. And now we get him in a situation where they have to use him. We, we've seen in the, in the early part of the season, they're, the Celtics are very happy to save their 38-year-old power forward center, uh, really center, and keep him a little bit more on ice until they get to the playoffs with a younger Kristaps Porzingis more than, uh, you know, handling the, the, his, share, his share of, you know, stats and contribution from the center position. But in the four games without Kristaps, who do they turn to? Papa Al Horford. In those four games, he goes up from 25 minutes a game to 31. He goes up from 4.7 boards to nine and a half boards, um, including a couple double digit uh, rebounding games in there. And then he's got 14 points a game, uh, better than the six, not even six per game that he's putting up when Chris Stapps is in there in those 25 minutes. So he's gone over this number in all four. And I think what's really telling is three of those four games that he played without Chris Stapps were against slower teams. Uh, Philly was playing a bit faster. Uh, and in one of those games, Philly didn't have Joel, so they did play faster. But in the one with Joel, what happened in this series always happens between the Celtics and 76ers. They went under. Um, and, and Al Horford's a huge reason for that. Still got his points and rebounds. Got it against Chicago as well. Another gross, fast, uh, choppy team. And then just dominated Atlanta, really, and, and got well over this against the, the team that plays a lot more, like the Pacers in, in the Hawks. So the, the 16.3 rebound chances in the last three games, those are all without KP. There's going to be more rebounding chances in a game that's going to have more shots and a faster pace than the other three that he played as well. Um, and Indiana's allowing the most points per game to centers. The, the 10.5 points alone feels fine. Um, I do like the fact that he's gotten so many big rebounding games that it might help us in the event that he's only able to score like eight or nine points. Cause I do have him right around 10 or 11. It's like, that's a pretty fair line, but adding the rebounds in there and he's, he continues to climb over this uh, the usage rate and the rebound chances are just there for him in these situations. So I'm going to go with Papa Al over 18 and a half. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised that he was able to get 20 against Philly and only hit two threes. Like in general, he had kind of been drifting yeah. around the perimeter I guess when the Celtics are at full strength, you know, to give Porzingis that spacing to drive and slash. Uh, but he was able to mix it up down low. And yeah, you said in the playoffs, they're saving him. This this is basically a playoff situation. 
you'll have two days of rest after this if you win before the semifinals. So I, I think this is prime time to just take Al uh, to, to, to bully a, a team that, again, we mentioned, is just giving up the easiest buckets down low possible and then just running back the other way, trying to tire out the vet. Um, so, yeah, let's look at the West, West Western Conference game here. Um, CJ McCollum, over 17 and a half points, please. Again, in a playoff environment, he has 18 plus points in 17 straight playoff games. Does the Wiley vet. He is a big game player. They sat him on the second half of a back-to-back after he came back from from the injury from the collapsed lung. There's no indication that he's going to be limited, even though he only played 28 minutes in the first half of the back-to-back. I think they were just trying to get his win back under him. He's off the injury report entirely, so I wouldn't be too concerned here. Uh, I mean, he did play 38 minutes in his very first one back right now, averaging 19.5 in those two games, consistently scoring, and interestingly had a a 26% usage in those two games because you saw, as you might expect, lower usage when he plays with Zion versus without um, in, in, in general over the last couple seasons. But he's still averaging 19 or a shade over with Zion uh, over the last two seasons versus 22 without him. Home road, it's the same thing. Steady veteran, 21.5 points per game. He hasn't scored much against Sacramento lately, but the his last four with the Pellies, 28% usage. So they're trying to go to him. Uh, I don't think there's anything to indicate the Kings have played excellent defense on him. They are, in general, you know, pretty vulnerable against shooting guards. Uh, I think he just missed, missed some makeable shots. The Kings are overall 22nd in defensive rating at home, allow the sixth highest two-point percentage and effective field goal percentage. So... For CJ to get some points here, uh, I think that's that's what he does. I mean, especially when you pair him with like Dyson Daniels or Jose Alvarado, it's it's you know you got it and, and Herb Jones out there. You know you know who's going to be creating out of the backcourt. It's 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 CJ. Yeah, it is. Herb's getting better. He's getting better on offense. His, he's going to be an all star. It's my prediction, but yeah. he's, he's not quite there for like a fourth banana even on offense. Like you said, Trey Murphy would be the guy, but. Even even if he does play, which I believe he is playing, but even if he does, it's still like he hasn't played this season yet. You know, CJ is still going to be the the third dude and, and will have the ball in his hand. Um, it's interesting. I, I would love to try to find an under in either of these games and just good luck. Like that seems like fool's gold to try to go ahead and get cute with unders in, in either of these two games where the, the matchups are as they are. So finishing off the, uh, the prop last over here for us, Zion over 24 and a half points. It's a chalky day, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's it's chalk today. And and I, I whenever I take a Zion points prop, I feel chalky, but it's the matchup. It's it's you gotta find your spots with him too, because you know that he isn't a dude that always plays 38-ish minutes, right? Like he's still gonna get like a 30 to 35 max sort of time limit out there. But in this one, like he's he's gone over already. We know that. Like the last three that he's played them, 27 points a game, also five assists per game. The field goal percentage is what I keep coming back to. 66% from the field. Um, and this is because of where he shoots from and where the Kings are weakest. Like, love you, Domas. One of my favorite players in the last 10 years, for sure, is Domas Sabontis. How much fun is a strong passing center who can, you know, really help control an offense? Just so bad at the rim, man. Just awful, awful rim defender. And, like, kudos to the Kings. They're like, look, we know that he's our, our center and that that means that we're going to give up points at the rim. So we're just going to try to outscore you. So at least they have a game plan to, to back up, you know, Domas's bad defense around the rim. But... You know, he's he's um, he is the reason more than anything that they are. The, they have the fourth worst defensive field goal percentage around the rim. Uh, everything you want inside of really 10 feet, even five feet. But 
even 10 feet. Once you get inside of 10 feet, you can get whatever you want against this team. Uh, team shooting above, above 69%. Nice uh, in those situations. Zion is averaging the most field goal attempts per game inside of five feet. Does that surprise anybody? Um, there was this like, let's see if Zion can shoot threes thing going on. And then everyone was like, I don't, why are we doing this? Uh, let's just go ahead and get him 16 field goal attempts per game inside of five feet. I mean, in, in, a couple of those are second chance points, which kudos to sack again, their defense as bad as it's been defending the paint does rebound very well. All the other positions, including Domas, an amazing rebounder, as we know, one of the best in the league. All the other positions as well. Even Harrison Barnes, good rebounder for an undersized power forward. Um, De'Aaron Fox, very good rebounding guard. We know all that stuff. Problem is, is like, <laughs> like this is Zion. It's a different beast. So when he goes up and gets those those uh, those offensive rebounds as he's want to do, then he's already right around the rim in a spot that he's going to just have an advantage the entire time that he's playing against Domas. And like I said, Harrison Barnes tried to co cover him for the majority of this last game. Uh, even the one that they were in for most of the game in terms of the Kings only losing by what, like five or six in that first game against the the Pellies. Even there, it was like Zion just owning Harrison Barnes. If you look at the matchup, he had an individual offensive rating of 128.5 in the six and a half minutes that, that Harrison Barnes was the primary defender. All that stuff really available on NBA.com advanced stats. Get into those box scores because I'd love to see who guards people and HB ain't it for, for Zion. Uh, and really, the dude who played the second most amount of minutes on him wasn't even Domas. It was Davion Mitchell, where they tried to do the sort of let's put a guard on him when he's got the ball out by the you know extended foul line. And then we'll see if he... But it's like there's nobody to meet him at the rim. So putting a guard on him before he gets to the rim isn't going to matter. It's just going to be like he's going to have like a little gnat hanging on him the whole time anyway. So Zion to get the 25 points. I, I do really like this bet, even though it feels chalky. It's, it's a good one tonight. It feels it, but I mean, after two like somewhat quiet games, right, where they clearly were just not that worried about beating the Spurs at home and they, they actually dropped one in Chicago looking ahead to this in-season tournament. So now you expect the full effort from Zion, who was, you know, on a tear of six straight before that back-to-back -back set. Six straight, 25 points, and, and that's why we're targeting it. I mean, there is no matchup for the Kings. And yeah, you mentioned him getting it from the elbow and trying to create. Well, now he actually has a creator in CJ back, you know, which he didn't in those first two right. matchups against the Kings. So I think that kind of, you know, the, those two guys having success is kind of correlated. Uh, maybe get some assists in there for them yep. because unlike the Pacers, the Kings do give up plenty of assists. Um, so I have no problem adding the four or five assists for either of these guys. Yeah, I thought about it. I mean, it's interesting that that CJ's return hasn't like totally crushed Zion's ability to get dimes. Um, but either way, I appreciate your uh, vote of confidence in my bet. Always need friends to help lift you up. And that is all the time that we have for you in our play of props for today's quarterfinals. First round of this knockout stage for the NBA in-season tournament. I'm super pumped. I know you're super pumped, Nate. So we're going to keep going on with these. Continue to follow along. We'll be back with tomorrow's slate and the rest of the week. And until we see you next, happy betting. Stop.